What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. All right. What's up? And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Long Game Podcast. Today, we are joined by one of my favorite financial planners out there, Rachel Camp. Rachel, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Thomas. So excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm glad that we did. We're finally able to make this work. We've had a few reschedules, a few sicknesses and Mm -hmm. other things in between. But let's just kind of start with give everybody an intro to who you are. Yeah, so I'll try to keep this short because it's a long story of how I got to this point. But I've been around uh, financial advising my whole life because my father's a financial advisor. So it's actually funny growing up and even going into school, I thought to myself, the last thing that I want to do is go into finance. (laughs) And while I was in school, I went to Indiana University. Um, Mm. uh, Everybody was trying to get into the Kelly School of Business. And because I'm competitive, I decided to just take a few classes um, and see how I did. And when I, after taking those classes, I realized, okay, this is exactly where I should be. This is where my skill set is. This is what I love to do. I was teaching other people um, how to do things in the classes. So long story short, I graduated with my degree in finance. Um, I then went out to Chicago. Um, I worked at a huge firm there uh, with six other advisors. My idea, I knew I wanted to be a financial advisor, but my idea was let me go find some of the most skilled and qualified advisors out there and learn from them. Um, Because I don't know if you experienced this, but a lot of the development programs for financial advisors, if you're young, are very sink or swim. Um, And so I kind of steered away from those and thought, let me just go learn for my first few years. So I had a great experience there. We worked with extremely wealthy clients. So I learned a lot of about alternative investments, hedge funds, private equity. It was a really good experience. Um, but my goal and my skill set, I thought was really with being a financial advisor. Operations was okay. I didn't really enjoy my day-to-day activities though. Um, and so, you know, I'm very lucky and fortunate that I have a father who is a financial advisor and he really wanted to partner up with me. So we started talking about doing that, what it would look like. Um, And I did end up leaving this firm in the pandemic and partnering with him. So I've been with him for about two years um, and just adopted kind of the target audience that he um, goes after his his clients, which are uh, retirees or pre-retirees. But it was always my dream to work with millennials. Those were always my goal, dream clients. And there was two things, and I'm curious if you experienced this at Old Thomas, but there was two things I was always told in my career. It was that... Um, you're too young to be a financial advisor. You have to wait, maybe give yourself 10 years in the industry first. And two, you can't work with millennials. They're not profitable. Um, They're just a waste of your time. So I was working with my father, but it was always in the back of my mind that I'd love to work with millennials. And I actually started to see financial advisors pop up on Twitter, you being probably the main one I noticed. 
And I thought it was so interesting because you were working with yourself or you were working with a partner who's the same age as you. You didn't have to partner up with somebody older um, and you were targeting millennials. So we had a phone call, I think about six months ago, and I just kind of interviewed you and asked you what you were doing, how you were doing it. Um, I talked to a few other advisors as well. Um, and you encouraged me really to start creating content, creating kind of that personal brand. So about four months ago, I started posting on Twitter um, and posting towards my target audience, which is millennials, I'm posting content for them. Um, and soon uh, what I'm doing now is creating um, one-time financial plans for millennials. Mm, I love that. I think that's a really good um, direction to go because I think that there's, there is a little bit of truth from people out there that saying that working with millennials in being profitable is hard because if you work with, you know, the average person in Indiana, who's making $80,000 a year, like it is pretty hard to be profitable because maybe they will say they'll afford 150 bucks a month. But what I've learned is a lot of these younger people, they expect a lot. Like they, mm -hmm. especially the people who aren't super high income, like they're like, okay, I'm paying a monthly fee. It's 1800 bucks a year. I better be getting a ton of meetings, service, et cetera. But I mean, you'd have to work with probably a good 200 ish clients minus fees, minus mm -hmm. everything to have it be a pretty solid living. And, and if they all expect eight meetings a year, it's just not something that's manageable. And so that was something that I kind of learned and moved to a different niche inside of millennials with business owners and people with equity comp, just because they have a lot of planning needs, they're willing to pay more for it. And so you can profitably run that business. But I think the one-time plans is a really good way to do it. And something that I think a lot of millennials will benefit from of, Hey, I don't really know what to do. I need help, get it up and running. And then that'll help me for the next three, four five years until life gets more complex and changes. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that's, honestly, probably one of the best routes to go. And also it's where they, you can add the most value. I mean, those like next couple of years, there's just a lot less work to do than that first year. Yeah, absolutely. And I see a lot of advisors too, kind of going to um, and exploring a membership model, which is also something I'm very interested in. And that's the way that you can serve, you know, that's a one-to-many model. And that's a way that you could serve um, more millennials that maybe couldn't afford a, a financial plan or afford, afford a subscription service. Um, you, can, you can really bring the price point down. They may not get as much one-to-one -one service, but it is a way that they can have access to a financial advisor before they you know, could traditionally afford it. Yeah. It's kind of the idea of, I've thought about this of like, maybe it's a hundred bucks a month, maybe it's 150 bucks mm -hmm. a month. You have like a planning topic and we're using elements now. And I think you could yeah. utilize elements and be like January, we're talking about insurance rates. Like what's a good insurance rate that you need to have. We'll mm -hmm. have like, you know, you can send out those reports to everybody. That'd be pretty easy to do. And then you give people the ability, like, Hey, if you need an hour of my time, like, you know, I normally charge 250 bucks an hour. Maybe you get a discounted rate at $150 an hour and we can help, you know, answer a few of your specific questions. I think that is a pretty good model that's going to start coming about, but I wonder it's like, I think there's like this early adoption phase that I wonder if pretty soon it'll be, there's so many communities that it's like, I like, you have to be pretty niche in what you yeah. do to stand out and be different from all the other communities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's really important to develop your own niche. And one of your, a niche can be just your own personal brand as well. So somebody that 
um, likes the way that you explain things or likes what topics that you talk about. And so I do love to see this evolution in financial advising to where um, everybody's kind of creating their own personal brand and you can kind of find your perfect financial advisor you know, online rather than just whoever the local guy is in your yeah. town. So have you thought about doing like women creators? Because like yeah, you've stepped up as a creator, you're growing really fast. Like, I don't know anybody else that does that. A lot of those early on creators don't have enough money to pay somebody ongoing, but like your principles could be like managing cash flow as a business and different accounts and, you know, when to become an S corp and yeah. you know, just all when to hire, you could just kind of go through a bunch of things and teach them that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been talking to creators, so that could just be another uh, step there is to, to be even more specific and say woman creators, because there are, I mean, differences there. And it's interesting on Twitter, it's really dominated by men too. And I would yeah. love to see more women writing on Twitter. So I would, I think that that could be a great niche as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, cool. Well, let's get into the topic today, which we're going to just, this is, we're going to see where this goes, mm -hmm. but it's going to be interesting. We're going to, let's start to talk about, and this is something that you said that you used to talk about a lot with clients is just kind of I think as we think about money today and how we use money, the mistakes we have about money, how how nobody can really agree whether money does bring you happiness, whether money doesn't bring you happiness, whether you can become better at money, whether you can't, whether, you know, all these things. I think it all comes back to this, like, you know, the evolution of money when it was created and just how we're wired to think and feel about money. Yeah, I think it's interesting because in finance, and especially with us being financial advisors, something we're always telling our clients is to zoom out. So if you're in the middle of a, you know, a, a down market, we always say zoom out, let's look at a, a chart of the history of the stock market, and that often makes people feel better. And I think the same thing with um, the evolution of money and just human psychology is to zoom out and say, let's look at the history of humankind. Money is such a new concept to us. And while the outside world has evolved so much internally, we have not evolved that much. So we're not really suited to think about 40 years down the road. We're, we're not suited to think about money at all. I mean, it's something that we created not that long ago. So when I'm working with clients and I hear things like, I'm just bad with money, I just don't understand it. It's like, well, we're all bad with money. None of us were born into getting this, understanding this thing. Um, and when you look at the evolution of our brains, I mean, it's almost the exact opposite of what we have evolved to do. We've evolved to be short-term thinkers. We've evolved to just react to what's in front of us. And although logically you can understand investing because investing can be explained very simply, it doesn't mean that it's easy to implement. Um, because fear is a very real thing that many of us experience when going through down markets. Um, and you can read a book on how to invest, but it doesn't mean that your emotions will align with those principles. So I think it's just always very important to think about why do we operate the way that we do and where did this come from and how can we kind of hack our brains to make sure that we're not working against ourselves. So don't go against your nature, but just work with your nature. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. You just have to figure out, you know, kind of your own um, reward system and what lights it up and what keeps you motivated. Yeah, I think it's interesting to like rewind and think about money and the evolution it's 
had over the last thousands of years because looking back money was just it was there really wasn't money it was like hey i maybe i'm a farmer and you know maybe i'm trading food for you know whatever the other person is on the other side and, and technically that is money it's it's not money in the way we view it but money is just a way to exchange value and before money existed exchanging value was the goods that you have maybe you know maybe i'll help you work i'll put time in which will give me you know, maybe food or whatever else that would be. So there's all these different ways of exchanging value. And so then when we got to the point of using gold or any currency, the whole idea was we need a better way to exchange value in a uniform way. But like, even at that period of time, it was still all just kind of trading back and forth. Mm -hmm. I give you this for what I need, but that's all that mattered was I just need to have some uniform way to exchange value, but investing didn't really exist at that period of time. Like there wasn't any way to use your money to make more money, I guess, unless somehow you could exchange your good to maybe plant and make more goods, but like investing wasn't really a thing. So now today we're still, I mean, I don't even know how many generations back money truly existed, but investing for sure is only has to be probably like three generations back. We're not really wired to understand what to do with it. And I think a lot of personal finance, we just, you know, you come to a financial advisor and everybody's telling you all the things that you need to do, but Mm -hmm. we skip over this whole base layer of like, what even is money to you? And I think that's like where everything has to start. Cause when you have a conversation with somebody, I always have these conversations with clients and they're like, forcefully trying to get into real estate and start rental properties or forcefully trying to get into this and that, but they never even step back and try to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, money is really a story that we've created and, you know, if humans weren't on this earth, money would cease to exist. So it's an interesting concept to think about. Um, And I just read the book Sapiens. So this is very top of mind for me. Um, But it's also interesting to just think about, the modern world and again how we evolved and what we were designed to do because now we have a problem of overabundance and whether that's access to credit or whether that's access to unhealthy food we're now fighting um, you know our own internal systems because now these things that used to be scarce resources are um, available to all of us and so what we really have to do is just kind of manage our dopamine intake. And when that comes to spending, um, you know, the access to credit has just fueled this. So now that we can overspend and not think about the long-term future. And I think, again, a lot of people think I just got caught up in this. I'm not just not designed for this. And again, it's just none of us were really designed for this. And if you can put practices um, in place and barriers in place between you and the unintended habit, like overspending, that's the best way to do that. Um, And that's why I think, you know, what I experience as a financial advisor is a great barrier between um, somebody and their emotions. So if somebody doesn't have some barrier between their emotions, then they will want to act on it. So if they see a down market and they're panicking and they're fearful and they're looking at their accounts every day, there's no barrier between them and that emotion. And more often than, than not, they'll act on that. So we have these, these natural human emotions that don't work in the modern world, 
but it doesn't mean that you have to act on it. And there are certain methods that you can use and put in place to make sure that you actually don't. And I think being a, having a financial advisor there is a great way to do it. Yeah. And I think knowing who we work with, with younger people, I mean, a lot of managing emotions is maturity and mm-hmm. the younger the client base that you work with or the younger that you are, probably the the less skilled you are at managing your emotions. And money is one of those things in life where we know what we're supposed to do, but then doing what we're supposed to do becomes really hard. And I've, I have these new clients who, you know, I'm creating a financial plan for, they make a really good income and, you know, really, really sophisticated people. They have like maybe $50,000 of credit card debt. And I started to dig into the story a little bit. And what happened was COVID happened. They were staying in their house. They were super depressed. They weren't having much fun. And so they were just throwing dollars upon dollars at trying to find any way to bring them happiness or create fun, even though they knew that it was a terrible idea that they couldn't afford it. And I think that's people view financial advisors and they just, they, And I think actually the thing that bugs me is there's all these like financial influencers that talk about money in this perfect world. Like everybody can just make the same decisions as them and everybody can just carry out the perfect plan. So why would I ever need a financial advisor? Because I can figure out the information of what to do. But I think that like the reinforced idea is that information is not what we need. We need a system to follow to ensure that we actually make those correct decisions because you're right. Like We talk about how money doesn't bring us happiness, but it has to, it at least has Mm -hmm. to in a short-term basis. Otherwise, why would, why is there so many people with credit card debt? Why is there such a need to buy whatever the best consumer good out there is? And it's because there actually is a chemical response in your body when you spend money. And then one day later, we go to the next chemical response, which is anxiety everywhere. I don't have Mm -hmm. the money. How am I going to afford this? My bank account looks really low. And like, that's why coaching matters. That's why having a financial advisor matters is because like people are wired to go through those cycles and just follow these short-term urges that they have and not actually just stick to what they know is best long-term. Because if we all could do that, everybody would be in really good shape. Nobody would be stopping at McDonald's and eating bad food. Everybody would be saving 20% of their income at a minimum. Like we'd all be following these principles that we know, but it's obviously not that easy. Oh, not at all. And and that's what's so interesting too, is when you're working with somebody um, and they they say that they like to spend on things, I mean, what they're doing there is they're conflating long-term happiness with these short-term dopamine hits. And we know with um, the hedonic treadmill that those things don't actually create lasting happiness. Instead, you get your dopamine hit, um, it quickly dissolves, and then you're chasing the next one. So when it comes to working and coaching with people, what you have to do is ensure that you're spending your money in a way that will bring long, long-term fulfillment. And that's just to make sure that it aligns with your values. And when I find when people really start to dig into their spending, um, especially if they have a problem with credit card debt and things like that, they really are just chasing those short-term dopamine hits, but they're not spending where they really value. And if they take a step back and say, what's important to me? What does a, a good day look like to me? And who in, in my life is important to me? And they can write down some of those values. That's another barrier between them and those short-term dopamine hits is they can go to 
purchase something and ask themselves, what value does this actually align with? You know, is this going to allow me to spend more time with my family? Is this an experience that I'll enjoy? And if you just start creating that self-awareness, I mean, that alone can, can really steer you in the direction of being better with your finances. But so many of us, um, you know, whether it's finances or it's, it's eating healthy, we lack that awareness and we're just acting on impulse. And I think spending and eating healthy are so similar in so many ways because it requires constant decision-making. You know, it's not like the habit of waking up at 6 a.m. where you wake up at 6 a.m. and that's done. Instead, you have a full, you know, 18 hours of coming, you know, into contact with a lot of these um, things that go against your goals. So a lot of unhealthy food or a lot of products that you want to buy, but you shouldn't buy. And so the best way to combat that is just create um, a self-awareness to realize that your nature um, goes against what you really want for long-term happiness. And, and if you can create barriers, self-awareness, reflection, those can be really solid principles to actually getting towards that long-term fulfillment and long-term goals that you want to accomplish. Yeah, I think the uh, values side is really important. I think the other side that people don't, I, I feel like people talk about values a lot now and more and more people are starting to understand why figuring out those values and how that relates to your spending is important. But then the other side that I don't think people think about enough is like, what does money mean to you? Because mm -hmm. I think that like, even as a financial advisor, I can't give a good advice to somebody without understanding their story and what money means to them. Because you have the person who like, you know, I grew up, um, you know, my, my house was taken cause my mom was in so much debt and we couldn't afford it. And so for them, like what they search for with money is security. So mm -hmm. like the way that they want to use money is to provide security. So they're going to have a higher emergency fund. They're going to have a lower risk portfolio. They'll probably have a smaller mortgage as a percent of their income that they can make sure that they afford. And maybe they're going to want to pay off that mortgage because they never want to go through that or put their kids through it because of how scarring that was to them. And so all of the financial decisions they make should really be about security. And then there's another person who like, hey, I've never had a problem money in my life. I make a good amount of money. All I want to do is be as efficient as I possibly can about it. And for them, they wouldn't be paying off that mortgage quicker if it's at a low rate. They can be taking more risk on their investments. They want to buy nicer things and they're willing to work for a long time. And like these two people could have the exact same situation, but what they do with money should be completely different because this person wants security. This person wants maximization. So that way they can go live their life. And there might be another person who very similar situation and they watch their parents slave away at work and their dad passed away still working because they he didn't save right and this person might say great what i want to do is keep my living costs as low as possible maximize as much money as i can to create financial freedom as early as i can because i don't want to be like my dad and never get to enjoy my life they could all have the exact same financials exact same company benefits exact same investment options and exactly and what they should do with their money should be completely different because of how they view money and what they wanted to accomplish in their life. Yeah. I mean, this is, I love this question that we ask clients and I know some, some advisors don't like it, but that question of why is money important to you? Um, I remember when I first started asking it, I thought it was 
kind of dumb and thought it'd be kind of obvious. And that's really asking that question is when we started to get into some of those stories of, I watched my mom struggle. I saw that my father, um, you know, was never comfortable with money and I just don't want to experience that. And that can really shape the relationship and shape the decisions you make. And that is exactly what it should do. You should understand your underlying beliefs around money. You should figure out what is the first memory you have of money and why, you know, why do you interact with it the way that you do? So I think it's an important um, conversation to have. I also think something that people don't talk enough about is that when I encounter some clients who have this kind of scarcity mindset around money where maybe they watched um, parents really struggle with money and they saw that they were controlled by money, then they do kind of go the other way of saving everything that they can and wanting to achieve financial freedom um, and being really conservative with maybe the cash that they have on hand. Just like the overspender doesn't have a relationship with a healthy relationship with money, that person also doesn't have the healthiest relationship with money. So it's important to realize when you are in control of money and when money is controlling you. And I find what those people don't often realize is that they're reacting out of this kind of irrational fear. Um, and they have to dig deep to see where that fear is coming from in order to enjoy their own life. Because if you are in, living in constant fear of, I never have enough, I could always have more, then you're not finding fulfillment and happiness with your money either, even though you may have a lot saved and it may look like you're great with money and money still has that control over you, then you're not really, you don't have the healthiest relationship with money that you should have. Yeah. We're wired as humans to like, especially with our parents to either do what they did or do the exact opposite of what we did. And what we do, I mean, there's a reason why addiction exists. There's a reason why people eat too much. There's a reason why people work out too much is that we're wired to whatever we do go to the extreme. So we're either going to be extreme spenders. We're going to be extreme savers. We're going to be extreme workers. We're not going to want to work at all. And you just start and then you get farther and farther and farther deviated from the path. And that's where I think one, you have to work on it. Like it, ha you have to be mindful of what finding balance looks like. I mean, to me, it's just like, you don't need to be living in a world where you spend hundred percent of your income, but we also don't need to be living in a world where you spend 40% of your income out of fear and like you miss out on everything. And that's where, like, I feel like it comes back to when you look at your own finances and you look at what decisions should I be making? What should I be doing with my money? There's definitely a few things that you want to look at. The first one is like, what does money mean to you? I mean, we just talked about this, but understand like your story of who you were as a child, what you went through, how you view money today. Like some people view it as a means to an end. Some people view it as my way to get freedom. Some people view it as like, Hey, you know, I, maybe I'm artsy and I love like expressing myself through clothes and things like that. And so maybe I want to spend money there. And, that, and that's, what's important to me. And somebody else is about travel. Like I just want money to create experiences for me. So you have to understand that the next one is you, this kind of goes a little hand in hand, but still different is what do you value? Because again, like I always tell everybody, you can basically have anything. You just can't have everything. And so figuring out what those, any things are that really matter to you. And then figuring out those things that you just really don't value at all and finding ways to cut, like answering those two decisions for yourself and then viewing, how do I use my money? Does it align with those? And if not, then what changes do I need to make? Because otherwise I'm just being stupid with my money if it doesn't really 
do what I want because I, I do believe money brings happiness. Mm-hmm. I believe money brings happiness when it's used that way. I don't think money brings happiness if I'm like, you know, what really matters to me is time with my family and traveling, but now I'm going to buy a $10 million house. I'm going to buy a Tesla and I'm going to be in this rat race because I can't afford anything like that side doesn't bring happiness, but maybe going on four trips a year and working a job that gives me all these days off. That is what creates that happiness. I believe that it can do that personally. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I don't ever want to tell somebody that they aren't using money correctly or that what they want to spend their money on, you know, doesn't make sense or that that won't bring you happiness. But I do think you have to ask yourself, why do I want this? Why do I want to buy this? And the person buying the $10 million house and the Tesla, I mean, maybe that's genuinely what brings you happiness and you never care if anybody ever sees you in your Tesla or your house. But a lot of people, especially in the US, buy those things because they want to show you know, a certain level of status and they want to show um, maybe that they are powerful or that they're in a elite group. And typically those things don't lend themselves easily to living a happy life. And so you just have to be honest with yourself on why are you spending um, the way that you are? Is it bringing you internal happiness or are you trying to look a certain way to somebody else? And so I think it's always important to view your life through your own lens and not view your life through the lens of somebody else. And we all fall for this. I fall for this all the time that I want to look a certain way. And so what do I need to do or what do I need to buy to look that way? And I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, what you should be following is what brings, again, me internal happiness and not just what makes it look like I'm living the best life that I can. And again, that just requires a lot of self-reflection, a lot of awareness, a lot of questioning yourself. Why do I want this? How is this purchase making me feel? What do I expect to get from this purchase? And that's the only way to really step out of that and create that self-awareness and and start going towards a life that truly brings you happiness and using money as a tool to get that life. Yeah, I think it also requires a lot of honesty. Like I think in the self-reflection side, we have a lot of stories we tell ourselves and you know, you're just talking about like, let's say you close or whatever, like for a lot of people, they tell themselves that like, this is about me and feeling confident, but is that true? Or is it about me feeling confident because I think people view me this way? Like I, you know, I had that blog post a little bit back of like the most dangerous phrases that we, we tell ourselves. And I think a lot of the problems in personal finance that people make all have to do about the lies that they tell themselves, whether about what they value, about what they need. You talked about that I'm bad with money. Like it's just so easy to come up with reasons on why we do something or why it's okay that we made that mistake versus actually being honest with ourselves and saying like, what I'm doing actually is not right. But I also like, I wrestle with this side too because I think that there's a lot of advisors and and just even honestly people on Twitter and everywhere else that like, they think the name of the game is like how to spend the least amount of money as you possibly can. Like, I feel like in personal finance Twitter, it's like you are shamed for having a nice car and you're celebrated for driving the 22 year old Camry with 600,000 miles on it. But it's like, there's a lot of people making millions of dollars a year. The goal also isn't to die with the most amount of money as possible. Mm -hmm. So like, I think there's this whole side of it too, of like, you know, if you have money, like it's okay to spend money and buy the things that you want, as long as you're just kind of doing it for the right things. 
I think that's what's important to think about is like everybody tries to say that their way of using money is the right way. This person's way of using money is the wrong way. But in all reality, that's not true. And that doesn't even exist. There isn't a right or wrong way to use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, personal finance Twitter can be funny sometimes. And also reading through, you know, even things like the FIRE Reddit, the Financial Independence Reddit can be really interesting. A lot of people start living these um, scarce lives because or start really restricting their spending um, out of something that they dislike about their life. And it's usually a job that they dislike. And so they envision, um, you know, this future of freedom and getting to wake up and spend their days how they want to do or doing whatever they want to do. Um, And I think like that's one way to look at things, but I also think, you know, the present day is extremely important and your youth is really important. And so I, I tend to think it's not worth slaving away at a job that you hate yeah. 10, 15 years, um, even though you're making a high income and you'll have your freedom in 15 years. Because I think at the end of that, you'll often what I see is people are surprised that that, that did not fix all of their problems and that even though they've achieved financial freedom um, and they never have to work again, they still have a lot of other internal issues that they have to deal with. So I, I always think it's about maximizing your present day. And that doesn't mean spending all of your money, but it means, again, finding yourself in that balance. Like you said, there's these extremes of overspending and oversaving. And really the right way to do it is to find yourself in the middle to where you can enjoy your present day, where you're spending money on what you like to do today, but you're also taking care of your future self. And I think anytime we take it to the extreme, um, it creates a lot of unhappiness and we're, we're chasing something that's just out of our control. Yeah, I always find it interesting because there's like all the statistics about like how when people retire, they normally like die faster, to be honest. And there's all the research to prove that like mental stimulation is like a very key part of happiness in life. Like if you're not being challenged, you aren't really happy. So then we look at these retirees, they retire, but at least they have like friends around them, a community, whatever. But if you go like retire at 35 or 40, most of the time, these people that are early retiring that are happy have a ton of money. They're traveling the world. Mm-hmm. Like I know a few people who do it. They're, they're going golf trips all around the world. Them and their family are traveling. Like they do a bunch of fun things. But like, if you just did this like scarcity way of life, spending $30,000 a year, and then you saved up so you can basically maybe cover a little bit more of that in retirement, there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to do. You're not going to sit in your house and apartment, go on a couple walks a day, watch some TV, read some books for 50 years and be happy when none of your other friends are retired and you have much to do. And I, I totally agree. I think like the best thing is if you feel super unhappy, like you have to get out of the rat race as fast as you can. What if you could just go find a different job that was like super fun to you? And I guess maybe you have the route of maybe I grind away till I have enough saved. And then I switch to a job that covers my yearly expenses. That is fun. But I just feel like the race to never work again is something that I don't necessarily think or have seen brings happiness. No. And I think that's what the FIRE movement gets wrong is that emphasis on the retire early portion of FIRE. Because I find that over 90% of people that are interested in the FIRE movement or in um, financial independence, that that's not really what they want at the end of it. What they want is options and flexibility and to leave their job that they hate. And so I always think there's better ways to go about this than to stay in that job again for 10 to 15 years and then just to retire and, and do what? I think 
what you can do is work on financial freedom or a form of financial freedom where you have more flexibility, where you can afford to take time off, where you can afford to maybe pursue a passion project or to take a lower paying job that you find more interesting or that allows more um, work-life balance for you. There's just, there's alternative options. And I don't know that the optimal solution is to grind away for 10 to 15 years and to retire um, and then you'll figure out, you know, what you'll do next. And so I think what I like to talk a lot about is financial independence, financial freedom, but to do what you want to do, to own your time, to own your schedule, um, and to make money in a way that is more fun for you, not just to, again, grind away for 10, 15 years and then retire and not work for 60 yeah. years, have a 60-year retirement. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I feel like kind of the summary of what we've talked about today is like you for one, have to understand what you value about money, what money means to you, like what brings you happiness on the way that you use money. Um, and if you don't understand that, don't expect yourself to be able to make any changes because you know that holds the whole thought or quote of I'm bad with money. Most of the time is because you don't really understand why you need to make a to take action and make any changes. But if you actually understood and what, what those changes would lead to, how that would increase your happiness, how it would make you feel more secure, less anxious, et cetera, you would probably actually change that course. And I always use just the the idea of like working out. Like if I just walk up to some random person, I'm like, Hey dude, you got to start working out and eating healthy. They'll be like, what? I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But if that person is like looked in, they're like, man, I'm having some health problems. Like I'm not going to be able to run around with my kids and my grandkids. And like, I want to be able to live a long, healthy life. Well, great. Now, you know what you need, what's, what gets you there? Well, you have to change your life. You have to eat better. You have to work out more. And that's, what's going to get you those three things that are most important to you, but without knowing those important things, no action is going to be taken. So I think it's important for people to understand that and understand that like, you know, money isn't something we're wired to be good at. Like you said, there's been this whole evolution. It's brand new. Um, I guess in the length of history that, you need to take time to be good at it. Like nobody graduates college and all of a sudden you think you're going to be amazing at this job. Like you put in thousands and thousands of hours but before you're like a valuable person. Don't mm -hmm. think that you can spend one hour a year on finances and all of a sudden be this master, which is why financial advisors become really valuable. Right. And I think experience helps a lot with that. You know, I've had the benefit of working with retirees. So I get to kind of see what it looks like at the end. And also working with millennials. And so I get to kind of ask them the same question and see these different answers. So when I ask them about any concerns that they have, like about the most recent market downturn, there are some millennials that this causes anxiety and panic um, because they just started investing and this is their first market downturn. And then you have retirees. And when I ask them if they're concerned or panicked, a lot of them aren't. When I ask them why, it's because they've been through this before and they know what happens, they know what it feels like. And unfortunately, there's no perfect way to emulate that experience without actually having to just go through it. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think that's just something you always have to keep in mind is sometimes the best teacher is experience and it's no exception with money. You live and you learn and you just keep trying to, um, you know, take action to go towards the goals and, you know, the achievements that you want to make with your money. Um, but sometimes you'll, you'll mess up and you'll make the wrong decision. But um, fortunately, if you have a good plan or if you start to have a good plan, uh, you can course correct and 
um, figure out the best method to get back on track. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well, Rachel, thanks for coming on. Um, Mm -hmm. Where can everybody follow you at? Yeah. So I'm most active on Twitter at camp underscore wealth. And I'm also coming out with a newsletter, which I'm really excited about. And as I launch more things, that's where I'll be announcing it. So if you go to my Twitter, um, there's a link there where you can sign up to my newsletter and that's the best way to stay in communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would tell everybody to go follow you. I mean, you're almost at 6,000 followers in the last four (laughs) months, just absolutely killing it. But thanks for taking time to talk through all this. I'm sure everybody learned a lot in this episode and everybody thanks for listening we will see you back next week